let us now call upon the name of the Lord and ask his blessing over this worship service. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be here in this church building this morning so that we can hear your voice and sing praises to your name. What a joy it is to be able to do this together as your people, that you have made us one and that we can express that unity in this worship service together. O Lord, you are the one who makes us faithful to you and your people. We thank you that you have given us another day in which we can enjoy your creation. We see your hand in everything, O Lord. You have greatly blessed us, for you have created us. You have made us a very important part of your creation. You have made a covenant with us and made some wonderful promises to us, namely that you will not look upon us in our sins and that you will give us eternal life as long as we believe in you and as long as we also lead repentant lives. For, Father in heaven, we confess before you that we have sinned against you also this past week. We have done so in many ways. Indeed, we have sinned against every one of your commandments. Forgive us, O Lord, and do that on the basis of the promise that you have made to us. We thank you that you show your faithfulness in our lives, and that you have made a covenant with us wherein you make promises, but also demands. You promise to be faithful to us always, and you have done that, Heavenly Father, throughout our lives, and you have done that to your people ever since the beginning of time. Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness and grant that we may also reciprocate, that we are also faithful to you, Heavenly Father. O Lord, be with the members of this congregation and be with all the parents. Give them what they need as they bring up their children. Grant, O Lord, that through them your faithfulness may also be shown so that also our children may want to be faithful to you and to your covenant and your ten words of the covenant. And we also pray for the married couples in our midst. And be with those who are struggling in their marriage. Help them to reflect the unity that you have within you as triune God. Help them to reflect the covenant that you have made with your church, that they may be faithful to each other, and that they may show love and respect for one another, as you have commanded in your word. Be also with the young people of this congregation who are seeking a partner. Grant that they, too, may have a sincere desire to serve you, and that they seek partners that want to serve you as well. Keep our young people from sin and evil. Keep all of us from sin and evil, O Lord. And be with the elderly in our midst. And be with those who are shut in. We thank you for the many elderly that we may have. Help them to continue to be a blessing to us and to their loved ones. We thank you that here in this church building we can find people of all ages. Father in heaven, Therein you show also your faithfulness, the faithfulness throughout the generations. And Father, be with those who are struggling in their lives as we all do. There are so many things that come our way.
You know the things that go on in our lives, O oh Lord. You know the th- kinds of things that we have to fight against. Evil is always close at hand. Keep us from the evil one. Father, be with those who have physical ailments. Grant, Heavenly Father, that they may look to you for healing. And, O oh Lord, that they trust in you. That they may know and confess that nothing can separate them from your love. Father, we pray for Sister Ellie Wilderman, the mother of our brother Andy Wilderman, who will undergo an operation, the Lord willing, later on this week. Father, be with her. Make everything well. Guide the hands of the surgeons. And grant, O Lord, that she may fully recover from the operation to her gallbladder. Bless her and grant that she may trust in you and that her family may do that as well. Bless us this morning, O Lord. Bless the preaching. Help us to realize that we live on this earth only temporarily. For your son is going to come again. And at that time, all sin and all the effects of sin will be done away with. They will be burned up. We look forward to that, O Lord, when all sin and evil has been done away totally. Prepare us for that final day, O Lord. Help us to examine ourselves daily so that we may know and be sure of the fact that we are your children and that we want to be your children in the way that we conduct ourselves in word and deed. We pray all this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now read together from God's Word. Before we get to the passages in 1 Corinthians, I would like to read first a passage from Isaiah, chapter 1, the verses 10 through 20. Then we will read the various passages from Paul's letter, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And in response, we will sing from Psalm 43, the stanzas 3, Four and five. So first then from Isaiah 1, starting with verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And now from 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 10, and the verses 10 through 12. Paul makes an appeal here to unity. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. And now from 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 through 13. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. But such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And then from the following chapter, chapter 6, the verses 1 through 8. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. And then verse 13 through 17, Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then finally, from chapter 11, verse 17 through 29. 
In the following directives I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself.
Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 30. And the concentration this morning will be especially on question and answer 81 and 82. There we find God's word summarized as follows. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit we are grafted into Christ, who, with his true body, is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have the forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, for then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. After the sermon, we will sing together from, from hymn 46 to stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that includes you, boys and girls, question 81 asks, who are to come to the table of the Lord? In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul addresses the same issue. He makes a distinction between those who celebrate, who celebrate the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner and in an unworthy manner. The latter are not allowed to attend. But who is an unworthy participant? And who is a worthy one? Not everyone answers that question in the same way. There are those who would like to have as few restrictions as possible. As far as they're concerned, anybody who is a Christian or who claims to be a Christian should be able to attend. For does not the Lord God accept such people as his children? Are we not going to be sitting around the table together with our Lord Jesus in the life hereafter? What right do we have to exclude others from the table of the Lord? After all, it's the Lord's table, and it is not our table. Others are more restrictive. 
they stay away from the Lord's Supper because there are certain people or certain things that they don't like about the people or about the church. And so they stay away. They judge the, per the church and they judge other people. What is the right approach? Well, it has to do with the proper way to examine yourself and others. That is what Paul says in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. How is that properly done? That is what I will preach to you about this morning. It is about self-examination and the Lord's Supper. Self-examination as it applies in the first place to yourself, in the second place to others, and in the third place to the church. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, you always have to make a judgment. You make a judgment, first of all, about yourself. By going to the Lord's Supper, you state to the Lord and to your brothers and sisters in the Lord that you are in good standing with your Lord and Savior and that nothing prevents you from full fellowship with the Lord your God, that there is nothing that stands in the way between you and God. As far as you're concerned, if you were to die right at that moment, you would be going straight to heaven. That is the judgment and the declaration that you make when you attend the Lord's Supper. And so you do have to make a judgment about yourself. But how well do we judge ourselves? How good are we at self-examination? How seriously do we take it? It's somewhat painful, isn't it? And therefore, we would rather not do it, or at least we would rather do it very quickly. We would rather judge others, and we are very good at that. We are more concerned about their worthiness than our own. We're also good about judging the manner of the Lord's Supper, and we can get quite stuck on that. We think about how the celebration of the Lord's Supper may not be reverent enough, that we don't do the Lord's Supper in the right way, that it's got to be done this way and not that way, and that if you don't do it my way, then you profane the table. It's a judgment that we make. Don't get me wrong. The Lord is concerned that we do things in the proper way. It has to be done reverently, and we have to be on guard all the time. But there is more than one way to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We may not get stuck on the outward symbols. No, we have to start with ourselves. We have to think about our own sins first. That's what Paul says about our lifestyles and about our own irreverent ways of worship. It's easy to look at others. It's easy to look at other things. But what is the Lord's Supper all about? you ever ask yourself whether or not you are allowed to go to the Lord's Supper? It's a good question to ask. Indeed, as Paul says, it is a necessary question to ask. You have to examine yourself. We read together from Isaiah 1. And there we read about the Israelites, how they conducted themselves concerning the offering of the sacrifices which mirrors the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. From the outside, everything looked good. The people were making their sacrifices and they celebrated their religious holidays and they sent up their prayers to God. 
They did everything in the way that you would expect things should be done. And yet the Lord is very angry with his people. He says he does not want their sacrifices. He does not want their prayers. He does not want their worship at the special holidays. And he states that very strongly. He will not tolerate it. He has no pleasure in their sacrifices. They have become a burden to him. Why? Because in spite of the fact that they came to his temple, and in spite of the fact that they did their duties with regard to the temple worship, just as had been described, they combined their worship with evil deeds. They lived in their sins. They did not repent from them. And they should repent from their sins first before they partake of the worship and of the sacrifices. And the same thing is true for you and for me today. The Catechism asks, Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? And the answer is a resounding no. Brothers and sisters, you don't fool God. How does God see you? In a few weeks, the Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so this is a time of self-examination. Think about that question. Ask yourself, are there any sins in my life that I do not fight against? Am I doing things that are clearly against God's word and from which I do not repent? Ask yourself. What distinguishes me from my co-workers, from my friends? And young people, you have to think about that question as well. Are you doing the same kinds of things and engaged in the same kinds of entertainment as those around you? What kinds of friends do you hang around with? What are the kinds of things that you do in secret? Are you sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Are you into drugs or the abuse of alcohol. Now please don't think that you have to lead a perfect lifestyle. That's impossible. The Lord knows that you and I fall into sin time and again. That's what we're all like. We are fallen creatures and repeatedly fall into sin. But the question is, do you also stand up time and again? Or do you remain in your sins? Do you live in your sins? Do you not care, for example, that you watch pornographic movies or visit porn sites on the web? Do you not care that you are disobedient to your parents or to those in authority over you? Do you not care that you drink too much? Do you hate your brother or your sister? Are you not willing to be reconciled to him or her? Once again, the question is not whether or not you're having difficulties with all these things in your relationships with your parents and with your children and with your husband or your wife or other relatives and friends. And the question is not whether or not you always tell the truth or whether or not you squander some of your money or whether or not you are not greedy at times. But the question is whether or not you make a habit of these things whether you are not known as a slanderer or a gossip, for example, or whether or not you are living in adultery. 
In other words, whether or not you are living in your sins without repenting from them, without feeling sorry, and without going to the Lord for forgiveness about this, without a resolve to do better. In short, when you fall into sin that is against your will, have you dealt and given in to your sins? If the latter is the case, then you do not belong to the Lord's Supper. And then you had better not come to the table of the Lord, because if you do, then the Lord God is going to judge you even more harshly. And so before you go to the Lord's Supper, what's the first thing that you and I have to do? The first thing that we have to do is that we examine ourselves. That's where you start. You can't skip that step. Don't think about the others at the Lord's table in the first place. And don't think about the ritual itself, whether or not it is being done in exactly the way you want it done. No, think about your own relationship with the Lord your God. Is that relationship dear to you? If it is, then you, as the Catechism says, will also be truly displeased with yourself because of your sins. That you do not want to live in them because you do not want to disappoint the Lord your God. You want to have a relationship with Him. And then when you fall, you get up again in His strength. For you ask the Lord your God to raise you up. For it's not something you can do on your own. It's only then that you can go to the second step, namely the examination of others. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, when you grieve about your own sins, then you also grieve about the sins of others. But then you do not delight in them. But on the contrary, then you mourn those sins. It is clear from Isaiah 1 that those Israelites that Isaiah describes there, that they lived in their sins. For that reason, the Lord God condemns them for partaking of the sacrifices in the temple. He condemns them for the fact that they went to the temple to worship him and to celebrate the holy holidays as if there was nothing wrong. You may ask, does God then not forgive our sins? And the answer is, of course he does. One of the most beautiful statements in all of the scriptures is from Isaiah 1 verse 18 where the Lord says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isn't that a wonderful statement? God cleanses you from your sins. But prior to stating this, he said something else as well. He said in verse 16, wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, young people, stop doing wrong. As we say, the Lord God wants you to take responsibility for your own sins first. He wants you to discipline yourself and to examine yourself. And those Israelites were not doing that. For that reason, the Lord God gives others also a responsibility. You cannot just leave it up to others to make a judgment about themselves. People fool themselves. 
They may say that they are believers. But are they? What about those Israelites described in Isaiah? What do you think if you were to ask them what they thought about themselves, whether or not they were believers, whether or not they were children of God? Do you think they would have answered in a negative? Don't count on it. They were blind to their own sins. They should not have been allowed to go into the temple and partake of the sacrifices. And those priests that allowed them to do it were unfaithful priests. God's holiness is at stake here. And therefore we have to warn each other. It says in Galatians 6 verse 1 and 2, Brothers, if someone is caught in his sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. Gently. But watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The Lord God asks you also to examine your brothers and sisters in love. Gently. The same warning he gives to the Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, where it says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In Colossians 3 verse 16, Paul also sounds the same alarming bells. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And so there are many passages in scripture that teach you how to be involved with one another. And how to examine not just yourself, but also others. It is even a command from the Lord. You have to judge others. Why? Because else, as the catechism says, God's wrath will be kindled against the whole congregation. God commands all of us to holiness, to purity. We must prove in our lives that God's declaration to us that we have been made holy through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is a reality in our lives. But that's also something we want for others. If we do as the Israelites did in Isaiah 1, then God also will say to us that he does not want our worship or our prayers or our Lord's Supper celebration. And then he will also turn his face away from us. His wrath will be kindled against the congregation. He will be angry with us. Brothers and sisters, it is that serious. And so each and every one of us has the responsibility to our brother and sister in the Lord. The scriptures make that quite clear. But what if they don't want to listen? Well, then you tell it to the church. We come to the third point. When the catechism speaks here about the church, what does it mean? Who is the church? Well, we read various passages from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. He addresses that letter to the church in that particular city at that particular time. But what kind of church was that? It doesn't appear that it was a very good church, does it? 
for a look at the kinds of things that were going on there. At the very beginning of his letter, he addresses his concern about the divisions in that church. There are those who say that they belong to Paul, and another says that he belongs to Apollos, and yet another to Cephas. And there are also others that say that they follow Christ. Different groups in the same church. There is lack of unity. And then in chapter 6, we read about that some members of the church are taking each other to court rather than getting a judgment on a civil manner. He's not speaking here about something criminal. No, he is speaking here about lawsuits. They have a dispute about some financial matters or something similar, and they take each other to court. Paul says, don't you have wise men in the church who can settle such disputes? And then further in the chapter, we read about those who are sexually immoral. Some of them commit adultery with prostitutes. And then in chapter 11, we read about how they treat each other. The rich ignore the poor and do not share with them. They even get drunk as they eat a meal together. How do we judge such a church? Well, do you know how Paul judges them? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he calls these brothers and sisters saints. For he addresses them as the church of God in Corinth, and those sanctified in Christ Jesus, who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. When you are sanctified, it means that you are a saint, a holy person. Isn't that something? How can Paul do that? Doesn't he care about what goes on there in that church? Doesn't he care about those awful things that happen? Oh, yes, he does. That's clear from chapter 5. In that chapter, Paul tells them how grieved he is about the tolerance of sexual immorality in the church. For the fact of the matter is that they tolerate a member among them who is leading a sexually immoral lifestyle. He tells them to expel that wicked man from among them. He doesn't belong to that church. And therefore, he doesn't belong to the Lord's Supper table either. Why does he center this man out and not the others? The, all the other ones that do wrong. Well, because this wicked man in chapter 5 lives in his sin. He does not want to repent. That is the difference between those who fell into sin of sexual immorality, of disunity, and all the other things, and of that particular person. We all do wrong, but we may not live in our sins. Those who live in their sins do not belong to the Lord's Supper table, and therefore they do not belong to the church of God either. That man deliberately lived in sin. As for the rest, Paul tells them to be perfectly united in mind and thought. In other words, he calls them to unity. How do you practice that unity? You do that by having meaningful interaction with one another, by encouraging one another in the faith, and by helping one another. And by forgiving one another their shortcomings, their sins, through loving interaction as brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
And that unity that you have with your brothers and sisters in the Lord is symbolically represented around the Lord's Supper table. And that's why it is such a beautiful and such a necessary celebration. And therefore it is important that we do partake and that we do that on a regular basis. To celebrate the Lord's Supper is a command. He commands us to practice unity in this way. It is for that reason that he also instituted the Lord's Supper. For God wants to declare the unity that he has created with us and the unity that he has created with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that we may not put up more obstacles than God himself does. That's what the Pharisees did. They put up all kinds of restrictions. We may not say that we have something against certain members or that we don't like the way the Lord's Supper is done or the way worship services are conducted. If you have a problem with another brother or sister in the Lord, then you go and see him or her. And then you try to straighten it out. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. And if the brother or sister does not want to be reconciled, then you give that over to the Lord and you involve the church, that is the office bearers who represent the church. Brothers and sisters, we have to take the Lord's Supper very seriously. Why? Because God does. That's very clear from 1 Corinthians 11 and from many other passages in Scripture. You do not have the option to stay away. That is sin. And if you do, then in effect you declare to God that you want nothing to do with His people and that you do not believe that you will be sitting around the same table together in the life hereafter. You judge them. And you judge them wrongly. You exclude yourself from God's communion. And therefore you exclude yourself from God's kingdom. It is that serious. And that is why we only allow those members of the Lord's Supper who are committed to one another. Who are committed to one another in spite of the sinful bunch that we are. Just like in Corinth. They celebrated the Lord's Supper together. Who then decides who can go to the Lord's Supper and who cannot? Well, the Lord God gives that responsibility to the office bearers. And that is quite a responsibility. And the office bearers also very seriously take it as such. Listen to what the Lord says in Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. The responsibility has been given to the overseers, to the elders in the church who watch over the flock. And that is why Paul commanded that overseers be established in every church. They are there to guard the holiness of the congregation. Brothers and sisters, the same thing is true here in this church. The elders of the Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church have to judge those who belong to this particular church. 
We cannot judge outsiders, as Paul says. Indeed, we may not. God gives the elders the responsibility to judge those inside only. And please believe me when I tell you that your consistory takes that very seriously. It may not always seem like that to you, but make no mistake about it. In every consistory meeting, all those who are wayward in their lives, their church attendance, or whatever it may be, are mentioned. And the ward elders are encouraged to help those people and to admonish them if necessary. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God invites you to his table on a regular basis. It's a wonderful privilege. The Lord God gives that invitation to all those who struggle with their sins and who do not want to live in their sins. He gives it to you for your comfort. And if that is the kind of comfort you seek, then you must also attend. For we need to hear the declaration of the forgiveness of sins. We need to be reminded of the wonderful unity that we have with God and with his people. And that that unity will continue into the life hereafter. And if there are reasons for you not to be able to attend, then you must do everything in your power to remove those reasons. He wants you to sit together at his table to remember the death and the victory over death of your dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants you to do that with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's a wonderful celebration. It is a celebration of the unity that he has created with us. It is a unity that extends into eternity. Amen. Thank you.